Hello and welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we wrap up this mini-series on some selected parables of Jesus. We've looked at about eight of them, I believe, and this week's parable is taken from the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's open to Luke chapter 6 today. Luke chapter 6 for our final one. And what I think interesting about this, there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, but we're going to go to the Luke chapter 6 passage. This is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now our pastor has been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday nights. If you've been here on Sunday nights, he's been kind of going through that. He doesn't when it's a series, he doesn't like say, hey, this is a series. I think it gives him an out if he wants to exit the series. But if you're following, he has been doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And in that sermon, he comes to the conclusion, and these are the verses that are the conclusion of his message. Now, for someone who speaks publicly, sometimes I, I find that very interesting. If you've ever done any public speaking or you've ever worked on a speech you know how important a conclusion is. Now, now saying this, don't pay attention to my conclusion today because I didn't write one out, all right? So, but if I was to be preparing a sermon or something like that, you, you're very mindful about your conclusion. Your conclusion is supposed to kind of wrap everything up. It kind of highlights some of the main points that you've talked about, but you don't want to say, all right, now remember, point one, this, point two, this. You want to do it in a kind of a crafty way, but you want to be able to bring it all together. And I say all that to say, I don't know that Jesus was sitting there thinking about the fine points of uh, public speaking, because he didn't need to, but he was at the conclusion of his sermon and bringing it all together. And then he says this right here. Let's just read through it, and then we'll come back. Verse 46. He says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Pretty powerful start right there. And that probably comes from the immediate context that we see over in Matthew 7. I may back up too. But he says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them. That's a key phrase here. Doeth them. I will show you to whom he is like, and now comes the parable. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, key phrase there, doeth not, is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That's it. Now, if you were to, and I might as well read it to you real quick. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus it gives a very, it's the same parable, but Matthew's given it from a different perspective. Don't ever get confused and say, well, these are contradictory. Now, Matthew's given it from his perspective. He was there listening that day. And Luke's given it from his perspective. He was sitting there listening that day. If I would have asked you to leave this class and you had to go tell, let's say, pastor, give a report on what I taught today, you're going to give your perspective. You're going to use some different words and different ways, and you're going to tell him what you saw. And so is someone else. Very similar to this. They're, gonna, they're, they're saying what they heard that day. 
In their case, though, they are being led by the Holy Spirit. But here's what he said in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto the foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Remember that little kid's song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. We've sang it. I should have you sing it this morning, but it's early, and we got that frog in our throat. We're not going to do it. But uh, that's a song that we've, we've heard this children sing, we sang maybe growing up. But it's a wonderful truth, and it's a wonderful way to bring Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount to a close. In the immediate context, he just was talking about, and it's why he said in verse 46, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In the immediate context, he, he was kind of coming off of where there was some that were in sheep's clothing, uh, but they were wolves. There were some that were saying that they were teachers of, or followers of Christ, and they were not followers of Christ. There was some immediate context there. But overall, Jesus is talking about the sayings, the truths that he's been talking about. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, he talks about giving, he talks about praying, he talks about fasting, he talks about divorce. He talks about a lot of different truths that apply to the Christian life. And so here he's saying, all of this that I've been saying, I want you to do. Now, if that's all I had to say today and say, let's wrap it up, it's pretty simple, right? It, here's what I'm saying. Here's what Jesus said. And here's this the simplified, and then the rest of this you're going to get is the fluff. All right? No, I'm just kidding. It's not fluff, but it's expounding on it. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what I just taught you. Now go do it. Modern day, our pastors say, this is the Bible, God's word. Go live it out. Now, if we could just do that, it's as simple as could be. And then he says, well, let me just illustrate a little more. If you, if you take the things that you've heard, so modern day, if you've taken the word of God that you know, and you build your life on that, no matter what storms come, you're going to be found. You're going to be stable. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through. But if you choose to reject this and live life on your own, the same storms are going to come, but you're not going to make it through. That's it. So let's now take a look at it a little bit and think about this. Number one, I think that the rock that he's talking about that you're building on is the Word of God in general. Now some say, no, the rock is, is the gospel. I think it's, it, it is the gospel, but it's more than that. I'm okay with this, and I like this maybe better. The rock is Jesus. I'm perfectly fine with that. Because Jesus is the gospel, but he also is the way to live the Christian life. We looked at that when we talked about this series about um, Beyond Sunday series. And that part where he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The only way you live the Christian life is Jesus Christ. So if you want to say that this foundation is Jesus and he's the rock, I'm perfectly fine with that. And even... David, back in Psalm 18 and some others, he said he looked to heaven and called, referred to God as his rock. And so I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I, just for the sake, and it is the same thing, I want to say it's the Word of God. You remember John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is Jesus Christ. So let's just refer to it as the Word of God. And if I had a, draw, a board up here, it's over there, but if I had a board up here, I, would, I want to start 
with dealing with the gospel, though. Because if you and I, we don't build our life upon the gospel, if, if someone wants to try to navigate this life and then the next life, eternity, absent from the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in their own way, they are, it, it, we know that it's going to lead to an eternity in a place called hell or the lake of fire. We know that to be true. It's a, it's a, it's a foundation that will not stand. It's a foundation that doesn't overcome the storms. And so any religion that teaches anything other than Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus talked about the gospel being his death, his burial, his resurrection. That is the foundation, the basis of the foundation that we build everything on. And so if you get that wrong, no matter how, much, how many good works you do, it's not going to stand in the end judgment. Now, I don't think that the storms that he's referring to here when he says the flood rose and the storm beat vehemently, I don't think he's referring to the final judgment. There's some commentators that say that's talking about the final judgment and everybody's, well, I don't, I, those that did build their house on the foundation went through the exact same storm. And I tell you what, I don't want to go through all that in the end time judgment. And the Bible teaches I'm not going to. So those, the storms and everything, which I'm going to get to in a minute, are the storms of life. But what we are to build the very foundation of everything on is the gospel. And if you get that wrong, then you're going to get everything else wrong. It's the, the, the what is it, the cornerstone of that foundation that you want to build everything on. And so I hope, and I think in this class, and I want to take too much time on this, but not because it's not important, but I hope that you have a clear grasp on what the gospel is and how to be saved. And in a simplified form, which is an accurate form, because it is very simple, salvation is not by anything you do. I like what one author said, salvation has already been done. Jesus did it all. And as the song says, all to him I owe, he's done it all. He died. He died for your sin. He was buried because of your sin. And he rose again victorious over sin. And when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, it's faith in the work that Christ did and that alone. When you place your faith and trust in him, understanding your sin, acknowledging your sin, and placing your faith in him, that's when you're saved. For me, I was 11, 12 years old. I always say 12. Going back in the history books, I may have been 11. But God knows. All right? I was 11 or 12 years old. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Right now, in your mind, when was it for you? Not when you started doing good works, not when you came back to church. When was it for you? That is the foundation. And I, and, and I know I'm speaking to a Sunday school class and you guys get up early to come. But I would say this. If you are still wrestling with that piece of the foundation, then talk to somebody. Get that settled in your heart. Because if you don't get that settled everything else starts to crumble. And, and maybe even you are saved, but you don't have that settled as far as, don't, you don't have confidence in that. You're constantly worried. I may not be saved. I, may, I don't know if I'm saved. You hear a message like this, or a verse like this, when Jesus said to people, why do you call me Lord and you're not doing the things which I say? And we hear people say, well, if you're not obeying, you're not saved, and you think about me, and I sinned last night, so am I not saved? And, and there's some denominations that teach things like that, and you get really insecure about it. And when you're doubting or wondering or worrying all the time, boy, you could start building a pretty bad on a pretty bad foundation as well.
So know in your heart, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you're saved. Now, with that basis, if I were to draw that starting there, maybe I would put it here, starting on that cornerstone of that foundation, what he's teaching here, though, is obedience. He's teaching, because he says this, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, that's the things I've been teaching, and do with them. So he's teaching obedience. Now you and I know, and Jesus teaches elsewhere, obedience isn't going to get you to heaven, so he's not necessarily teaching about salvation. Because salvation is not, or obedience isn't going to get me to heaven. Just think about Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, that's a great verse right there, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But do you know what the very next verse says, verse 10? Right after he just talks about how salvation is by faith and grace alone, there's nothing you can do. Then the next verse, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So he, just, he says that we need to do good works, but that good works will flow from the right foundation. Now that my life has been changed, I'm going to do good works. I, I want to live for Jesus Christ. The good works should be there, but they come after I get saved. Here's where this gets muddied, and so I'm going to get into the mud for a second, and then I'm going to try to jump out, clean off, and move on. All right, so I'm going to get into the mud for a second. Here's where this gets muddy. It gets real simple when we try to do this, but it's, it's not as simple. If we just say, all right, if you're obeying what God says in the Bible, you're saved. And if you disobey and you're not living according to the Bible, then you're not saved. If it was like that, it would be really easy. But let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you disobeyed the Bible this week? How many of you sinned this week? Don't raise your hand. Yeah, Chris is like got two hands up and a foot, all right? <laughs> no. How, I, I mean, did you sin this week? So then in that moment when you sinned, did you lose your salvation? If, if obedience is everything to our salvation, did you lose it? He said, well, no, I didn't lose it. Okay, so how many sins do you have to commit to lose it then? Because if it's not then, here's what I've seen happen, though, among some pastors that I respect. That, that they, it's called a term called, you know, this is my mud, and then I'm going to jump back out of it, okay? It's a term called lordship salvation in a sense where it's like, all right, well, you're coming to church, so you guys are here on a Sunday morning, so you may have sinned this week, but you're coming to church, you're doing some of the things that I think are good, so, you know, you're good, you're saved. I can tell you're saved because you're here, right? But what if you weren't here? this week and then you're not here next week and they're not here the week after and they're not here for a year here's what happens sometimes even some pastors will say well they were just never really saved is that true possibly you can sit in church and not really be saved it's possible i did it for about 12 years until i got saved at 12 actually i did very rarely am i ever not in church since i was nine months in my mom's belly i've always been in church but 12 years, I sat there one day. You can sit in church and not be saved. So it's true that pastor, a pastor or a person could be right. Hey, they were here for a while. They left. They were never saved. Could be. I don't know. Or there's a little term in the Bible called backslidden or carnal. You know what those two terms mean? That means that I'm just drifting from God. I'm saved. 
And I, I've, there's been fruit in my life and I've lived for him, but now I've just drifted. I'm making my own decisions. I'm being selfish and I have backslid. I have drifted from God and I'm not living like I should. I'm backslidden. And that could be too. And, and that, little, that little part right there makes everything tricky. That's why I say often in this class, I'm not supposed to be a fruit inspector. I'm just to be a fruit bearer. It means I don't go around saying, ah, I don't know if that person's saved or not. I just, I don't know. I haven't seen enough or they stopped coming to church, so they probably never got saved. Hey, that's not for me to decide. That's up to God. Here's what I'm to do. Share the gospel with people. Well, do you share the gospel with that person that stopped coming to church? No, I may just try to get them back in and help them and grow. Here's what happens the majority of our time. Now I'm, I'm, I'm staying in the mud a little bit, but here's what happens a lot of times at our churches. We want to see people saved and they get saved and we're like, yes, they got saved. And then we're just like, hey, do these things. Come to church, read your Bible, pray. Well, they don't know what they're doing. That's like having a newborn baby and saying, hey, welcome to this life. We're going to set you down right here, figure out how to eat, figure out how to communicate, figure out how to, how to take care of yourself. Good luck. And just leave them sitting there and then walk away and go start playing video games or something. It's not going to happen. So what happens in a lot of our churches is we see people saved and then we don't help them grow. That's called discipleship. And so we just say, figure it out. And you know what happens? The storms come. The waves come. Difficulties come. And they just give up. Did they never get saved? I think in a lot of those cases they're saved. They just are newborn babes struggling. And they don't know what to do. In other cases, maybe they didn't. Maybe they never did get saved. I don't know. We'll see when we get to heaven. But I want to do everything in my part, and I think our church ought to do everything in our part to say, hey, I want to see people saved, and then I want to encourage growth in their life and help them and, and, and set them on the right path. So with that being said, the foundation is the gospel. But building on that, the part of that foundation, the foundation is the word of God, excuse me, the cornerstone of that foundation is the gospel, but part of that foundation is obedience, though. Because if I don't, and if you don't, then I'm going to tie this in the next year. If you and I don't do what Jesus said here, which is hear the sayings, that we hear it on Sunday school, we hear it in preaching and, and church, we hear the word of God, but if we don't become a doer of the word of God, then guess what? Those storms of life are going to come and you're going to be one of those statistics that people are sitting back, shouldn't be, but we're sitting back at church saying, well, did they ever really get saved or not? I don't know. They, they, boy, those storms came into their lives in 2023 and they went through some difficult times and they just got out of church and they haven't been back since, so I don't know. Well, how would that happen if this book doesn't become a part of our lives? This has to be a foundational point. So he says, he, this man built his house, he dig deep and laid a foundation. The cornerstone of that foundation, yes, the gospel. But we've got to build on that to get to know the Word of God. So my question for you, I asked you one question at the beginning. I said, do you know for sure you're saved? Or is that part of the foundation kind of wobbly for you? But here's the second part I want to ask you. Don't answer it out loud, but I want to ask you. How well do you know the Word of God? Is it a priority to you? Do you study it? You say, well, I just come to church and you're supposed to do that for, you know, that you're a teacher and your dad's a pastor. He's supposed to do that. No, no, no. If you think about this, I was, I was for, I'm going to have a meeting with my dad and my brother and some others talking about some plans for next year. And I started writing out some notes. You realize there's, I think there's 168 hours in a week. 
168 hours in a week. If you come to all the services, which a lot of people in our church don't, but if you come to every service, Sunday school, let's, let's just give it an hour to make it easy numbers. One hour. Sunday morning church, give it numbers to be easy, but we're not in the Bible the whole time, but two hours. If you came Sunday night, three hours. And if you came Wednesday night, four hours. So I have 168 hours in a week at most, and we're being generous, you get four hours in the Bible. If that's all you do, but 164 hours, you're either sleeping or at work or watching the news, which is depressing, or the cults, which is even more depressing, or all of that. And we wonder why when the storms come and the floods come, we struggle so often. There's no foundation. And if, we, if we're building our 168 hours on Fox News, we're building 168 hours on conversations. I, I, I'm not sitting here teaching that we need to spend 100 and some hours reading the Bible every week. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we need to spend time every day in the Word of God. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night is not enough. Get into the Word of God yourself. And what happens is, even if you spent 15 minutes in the morning, if we do what the Bible teaches, that's why the Bible is so good. If we just do what the Bible teaches, and then we get in it, we study it, and we meditate on it, that allows us to be thinking about it throughout the day, throughout the week, and it can change your life. What happens is it starts to build on that foundation of the gospel. It starts to build the truths of the Bible, and you start being able to handle everyday things. And so when someone wants to make you angry, and you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, all of a sudden, no, because I've built a foundation of how to help my anger by getting into the Word of God. Some things in life start, some storms start to blow in your life that's building anxiety in you. And normally anxiety just gets you off of the rails. But because you've got a foundation in the Word of God and the promises of God, though those storms are coming, you're able to stand even when that anxiety wants to come because you have a foundation in the Word of God. You see, life, the basic things in life that we struggle with can be solved by getting to know the Word of God, getting to know Jesus through His Word. But what happens so often in, in our modern day is we feel like this is a special book that's given to these special people called pastors that are supposed to be deliver it to us four hours a week. Now, most people don't go four hours a week. So at most people are getting about one hour a week, maybe two. And that's, that's very generous. And so the, these special people called pastors deliver this special message from the Bible and we get this one-time intake and then it's supposed to supply everything for 168 hours in the week. It's not going to happen. Jesus designed it to be a personal relationship. Yes, he gives a message to the pastor. And that message is supposed to help us and encourage us and work in our lives. All of that is true and there's a reason for the Word of God. But we also need to be in it ourselves every day. I need the, the Spirit of God lives in me and He's going to be working in my life. So the, so the question, if we build it, he says, if we build upon that, those storms will come. Did you notice in this text that the storms came both on um, both people? It's not like God said, hey, the one that's building on the good foundation, we're just going to keep the storms away. Hey, the storms came for both. And can I say this? This is not a positive outlook on 2023, but I think it's a realistic one. Storms are going to come in 2023. You say, well, not for me because I'm living forgotten. It doesn't matter. Storms are going to come in 2023. I don't know what size or how big or what they're going to be. I, 
I hope they're not great for you, but I don't. I really don't know. And I've kind of thought through this. I, I believe, well, I don't, don't want to get too sidetracked, but in life, we're all going to go through different storms. You all have your different trials. I think in my life, and I've wrote about some of them, there's just trials that, were, that happened in my life, and that's my life. That's how it is. I didn't get a choice in some of them. It's just, that's my life. Sometimes there are choices that we make, and we did get a choice in them. But that's the trials that we have. So, are we going to be blown away by those trials? Or stand on the foundation of the Word of God and the salvation that we have? So 2023, as you're thinking about your 2023, my question for you is this. Will it be built upon the Word of God? And what responsibility are you taking to say, I want to get to know God's Word in a greater and deeper way. I think it starts with committing to saying, hey, I'm going to be at church as much as possible to learn part of the Word of God. And I think if you made that one decision, that's a great thing, but that's four hours. So my encouragement to you would be, hey, let's. how can I on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays become a student of the Word of God? How can I do it? And how can I grow in my faith? And I think there are ways to do that. But when you do, he says, those that are founded, they're going to stand. But if we choose not to, if we say, hey, you know what? I'm saved. I've got that foundation. That's what I think he's talking about. I'm saved. So I'm just going to kind of figure it out. That's great. Wonderful. And you may have a wonderful life. That's because the gospel changes lives and it's a powerful thing. But there will come storms and there's going to be trials. And we need to know the word of God. This person, when I hear this last phrase, he says, in the ruin of that house was great. Let me make a little generous application here. Think of this for, as a dad, if you're a dad in here. Think about this as a, as a parent, if you're a parent in here. Can you imagine if it was said of you that the ruin of your house, your, and I'm talking about your physical house now, if the ruin of your home was great, and if that happened because we chose not to be students of the Bible. The ruin of that house, he said, was great. And I would not want that to be said of the McClure household. There's been some storms that beat upon it. There's been some storms that have come in my life, and I'm sure in your life, and you can look back and say, boy, that was a bad storm. But now looking back, if you're still sitting here, you've made it through. By God's grace, you've made it through. So more may be coming, but what is the thing? What is the foundation that you're upon? And that's what we're after here today. And it's part of it is, and the reason I chose this text you know, months ago was to end the year, getting us to think about our foundation, but thinking about that truth of what we sometimes call discipleship. Do you feel like what I said at the beginning, one of those Christians that, hey, I got saved, but I'm just like, I have no idea right now. That's fine. It's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It may be that you haven't got the training, you haven't got the help, you haven't got um, people around you. It could be, it, hey, just so we can all be, so we can all be real here, because I can say it about myself too. It may be your fault. It may be the church's fault, but I don't like to point the fingers all the time. It may be your fault. You know, there's a lot of times in my high school days, Think about this. My grandpa, who stirs up all kinds of stuff around here now, we joke around with him, but he was the pastor. My dad was a deacon and everything. And I got out of high school. I really didn't know the Bible like I should. Was it my parents' fault? Sure, I could blame them and go on with life, but it was really my fault. I had every opportunity. I didn't know it. 
I didn't build on that foundation until I got to college. And so I think it's easy to point fingers, but let's just, at the end of this lesson today on this foundation, on this illustration, this parable that Jesus gave, let's not point fingers at anybody else. Let's just say, hey, if I'm responsible for the foundation in 2023, is it going to be a 2023 founded upon the Word of God? Or are you just going to continue to do whatever you want? And say, well, we'll see if I can withstand the storms. I'm a Christian. I'll be fine. All right, but I've seen a lot of Christians that can't take some storms. Their mom and dad dies. The child dies. Something else happens in their life. You say, ah, this, it, anything could happen. Are you ready for storms? That's a negative way to end this message, Brad. Let me think of something positive for a second, all right? No. It's a negative way to end it in a sense, but it's a reality. In this life, storms come. And so my encouragement to you is allow this book, find a strategy that says this book, the gospel, yes, but this book is going to be the foundation of my life that I'm going to build upon in 2023, no matter what comes. Let's pray.